0: We are in part five. We've been in a series called Long Story Short. And uh, the idea is in seven weeks, and I think it's going to be eight weeks now, but to go through the whole main story of Scripture. The Old Testament, we see a story of the nation of Israel that weaves throughout the entire Old Testament, leading up to Jesus, and then Jesus teaching, and then the start of the church, the New Testament church. This story that goes throughout, we've been following for five weeks now. Um, If you would like, we have a, uh, we designed a Bible, like a timeline of events of scriptural events, and so you can grab one of those at the info table. It's actually been pretty good for me just to, like, read through. Oh, that's right, these books. It shows you the books of the Bible, where it fits in history, the books that kind of go together, the books that talk about the kingdom or the exodus or the Israelites in Egypt, because a lot of times, I think for people, we can start reading the scripture or the preacher will say, turn to your Bible in this ch- chapter and verse, and you're reading it, and you're like, yeah, this is like, I have no idea what's going on. It's like watching a movie. If you just you know, watched five minutes of a movie about two-thirds of the way through, you'd be like, I don't know what's going on in this movie. So this story we've been trying to get a little more familiar with so that you have some context when you read the Old Testament. When you read one of the Old Testament prophets, which is what we're talking about today, you can say, okay, they were prophesying during this season of the nation of Israel. So this is why they're talking about these things. So to bring you up to speed... You know, last week, on Long Story Short, here's what happened. We've talked about the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and they got delivered. Moses led them out of slavery and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then God said, here's the promised land. Here's the land that I've given you so that you will be a nation. And God's instructions for them were this. Go in and drive everybody out. All the previous inhabitants, drive them out. Don't let any of them remain. And God's reason for this was... All these other nations, this land that you're going into, they're all idol worshipers. They've all got habits of sin and idolatry and wickedness. And if you allow that to remain, even a tiny little bit of compromise, it's just going to gradually infect into you. And so the lesson last week was this. God wants us to do the same thing in our heart. When we become Christians, similar to the Israelites going into the promised land, when they entered the promised land, it wasn't like, yay, that's the end of our story. It was the beginning of their journey in following God and being the people of God. So the same thing with us as we become Christians, a salvation experience. That's not the end of our story. That's the beginning of our story as we learn to root out those old areas and those old patterns of sin and wickedness in us. And God says, I want to get every area of your heart. And so we don't allow compromise. And we allow God to do his work. And that's where we were, That's what we were talking about last week. And what we saw in Israel is it went well for a while. They drove out the previous inhabitants, but eventually they started to let some people remain. Eventually they started to let some idolatry come in, and they started worshiping the idols of these other nations. And compromise came in, which led to wickedness and sin and idolatry. And so at that point in the Old Testament, we kind of got to the book of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. And those are all the books, if you're reading through the Old Testament... We talked about the Pentateuch, the first five books, and then you get to Joshua and Judges, and those are the books when they're taken over the Promised Land. Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, those are books that talk about the years where Israel had a king. King Saul, King David, King Solomon, um, the building of the temple. And after Solomon, we've mentioned this last week, the kingdom of Israel splits into two kingdoms, Israel is the northern kingdom and Judah is the southern kingdom. And so you might be reading through the Old Testament and God keeps talking about Judah and you're like, well, Judah, who's Judah? I thought this was Israel. Well, that's why. There was two kingdoms, each with a king. And they were each constantly facing battles from the enemy nations. Coincidentally, a lot of the nations that they forgot to drive out of the land when they went into the promised land, this compromise came back to haunt them for generations And so we see during these years, it's a constant kind of ebb and flow with a king in Israel or Judah. Sometimes they would bring him close to God, other kings would be wicked and pull them far away from God. And during these years, it was just this kind of up and down idolatry, wickedness and sin within God's people. So today we're taking the story from there and we're finishing up the Old Testament today. Because during these years of all the kings in those books, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, all the stories of the kings, there's also the prophets. And a lot of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Daniel, a lot of the like, second half of the Old Testament are all prophets. They're all books written by the prophets who God would speak to during these events. During these times when Israel has a king, God would talk to the prophet and say, okay, tell the king this, tell the people this. And a lot of the times, God is warning the nation of Israel. God is warning them, saying, this idolatry that you have, this wickedness that you're allowing in is not going to go well. God it wants you to turn back to him. And eventually, God starts speaking through the prophets. There's going to be disaster that comes to you. There's going to be a nation that comes in and basically wipes you out and takes you into exile. So a couple examples of that. One of them is Isaiah 39. And if you have a, I mean, you can just write these down. Or if you have a Bible, you can read, read along with us. It'll be up on the screen too. Isaiah was a prophet, one of these prophets, during the time of the kings in Israel. Isaiah 39, verse 5 and 6 says this. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah at the time, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. So the prophet is speaking on behalf of God. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up up, up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left. There's another prophet, Micah, another Bo- Old Testament book. Micah 4, verse 10 says this, talking about this exile that's coming to Babylon. Writhe in agony, daughter Zion,' Like a woman in labor, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. So he's saying this is happening. Disaster is coming for the nation of Israel. Where Babylon's going to come in and take you away. You will go to Babylon and there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. So these prophets are saying disaster is coming. They're warning the Israelites. They're warning the king. This is happening. Jeremiah A great prophet, a great book in the Old Testament. Um, There's times when you read through, if you read through Jeremiah, it can be, you know, it can get a little long at times. It's like 50 chapters or something where it's just prophecy after prophecy. Judgment is coming. Doom is coming. You're kind of like, oh, man, this guy's a downer. This guy clearly was not, you know, the most popular guy at the party. And really, well, it goes back to when Jeremiah was called by God. And I wanted to read a few verses out of Jeremiah chapter 1 where God calls Jeremiah... And he says, I'm got, I got a job for you to do, Jeremiah, so I want to read that. Jeremiah 1, verse 4, and it says this. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you, in the womb, I knew you. He's quoting David the psalmist here a psalm. Before I knew you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And this is what Jeremiah says Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, I'm too young. Instantly, Jeremiah, did we, have we noticed a trend if you followed this series? A lot of times when God calls people to do something, their first response is to give God the reasons why he's making a mistake. You know, Abraham did this. I know you have a promise for me, God, but I don't have a kid. How am I supposed to have all these descendants? Moses, the same thing. Don't don't call me to go to Egypt. I can't talk good. I'm not very good with the words. Jeremiah is doing the same thing. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is God calling Jeremiah to do the same thing Isaiah was doing prophesy to the nation. God is telling Jeremiah, I'm calling you to speak to rulers. I'm calling you to speak to the people, and what I'm calling you to say is not going to be popular. It's not going to be well received. I'm calling you to warn them of impending judgment, but don't worry. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. Don't fear them. Just be faithful to me. That's what God is saying to Jeremiah. Don't worry about all these things you're worried about. Just be faithful to me. And again, we see that trend throughout this with Abraham, with Joseph in prison, with Joshua as he's about to go into the promised land and and take on Jericho. All of them had reasons why God couldn't do it. Well, I don't speak well. Well, I don't have any descendants. We can't take the promised land because there's city walls, you know, the, the mighty armies. And every time God says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the city walls. Don't worry about the armies or the prison bars. Don't worry about Pharaoh and his mighty nation. You just be faithful to me and do what I ask you to do, and I'm going to take care of all those things. We see that trend throughout the Old Testament. God would go on to tell Jeremiah in the following verses. It's a great story. Kind of what I said. God's going to, God said to Jeremiah, you're not going to be well-received. You're not going to be the most popular guy in town because you're going to say stuff that nobody wants to hear you're going to constantly be saying the words that nobody wants to hear, that judgment is coming because you're going to tell them that because of your unrighteousness. And, it's, and in fact, God tells Jeremiah, it, you've got to even tell them it's too late. It's too late. Even if you turn back now, it's too late. Judgment is coming. Babylon is coming. There's a verse where Jeremiah says to the people... You might as well start putting the shackles around your neck and your arms right now. You know, essentially, Jeremiah goes to Israel and says, I hope you like slavery, everybody, right? Because that's what's coming. This is what God asked Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah is a book all about this prophet, all about a guy who is in a culture where he is speaking a very unpopular truth, all about a guy who goes into a land that doesn't want to hear about God and boldly proclaims the word of God. That's a reminder for us, right, students? I'm. I was thinking about this as I was praying this morning. I am praying a Jeremiah spirit over our young people, who are living in a world that is increasingly against God, and they would they would have the boldness that they would recognize God has called me like the prophet Jeremiah to go into my culture and to stand up, to do what God wants me to do, to live for God. Students, I'm pre- kids. I'm praying for that for our kids, grownups too. You know what? I want us to be in this mentality where it doesn't matter what the culture's doing, we have God. We're not worried about the pharaohs and the armies and the walls and the prisons. We just, we have God. We're going to do what God asks us to do. We're not worried about if our culture is accepting of it or not. We're just going to live for God. We're going to have our hearts right with God. So I'm praying that students over you as you are in schools and college campuses, you have the spirit of Jeremiah. The same God that called Jeremiah is calling you. You're going to stand up for truth. You're going to stand up for right. You're not going to be swayed by this. And Jeremiah is very clear as he, as he talks to the Israelites. Exile is coming. Babylon's coming. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be taken from your homes into Babylon. And you know what? You're going to be there for a while. It's not going to be quick, and it's not going to be easy, and you're going to think that God has abandoned you. This is what Jeremiah is telling Israel. He's telling God's people, you're going to think that God has left you and abandoned you, but God is at work. God has not forgotten you. God is at work and he will restore. Our very popular verse that we quote a lot, for, the, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 11. I've joked about this before. It's on every graduation card that you buy for a grad party. You know, for the, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Those words were spoken by Jeremiah in the midst of exile. In the midst of being taken out of Israel into Babylon. And Jeremiah is reminding the people, just because things are going poorly does not mean God has forgotten about you. Does not mean that God has abandoned you. There will come a time where he will redeem you. He is at work. So if you're reading through those books, you know, at the end of Second Chronicles, the final king of Israel and Judah, Disaster Strikes. God has had enough of Israel's rebellion. and Babylon, the mighty empire comes in and they besiege Jerusalem and they destroy the temple and the city wall and they take many citizens out of Israel into Babylon as exiles. So in the Old Testament, books like uh, Ezekiel, Daniel... Esther, the story of Esther, you know, that God has called you for such a time as this story. Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace, all of those great stories happen while Israel is in Babylon as exiles. So those books happen, um, you know, during the, during the exile. And then side note, just real quick, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, Like the second half of the book of Daniel is all prophecy about the end times, the end of the world, you know, what future for us, what's going to happen at the end of the world. Pretty interesting stuff. You might not want to read it to your kids before bed, but it's pretty interesting stuff. (laughs) So, about after 70 years, again, we're following the story. Israel is in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And that mighty Babylonian Empire, like the world power at the time, eventually they get defeated by another empire that comes in and is more powerful. Um, It's the Persian Empire. And the emperor of Persian Empire is a guy named Cyrus. And he looks around and he sees all these Israelites and God moves his heart. And Cyrus tells the Israelites, you can go home, you can go back to Jerusalem, you can rebuild. Cyrus allows them to return out of exile into, back into Israel, back into Jerusalem and rebuild. And so those books, Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament, that's when Israel is allowed to return and rebuild. God's word came to pass. He did allow them to be redeemed and rebuild, and they rebuild the walls, and they rebuild the temple. But um, interesting, they don't have a, they're not a nation at this point. You don't, they don't have a king again because they're still under the Persian Empire. In fact, you know when Israel would be reestablished as a nation? was 1948, like 70 years ago. You know, from that moment in the Old Testament until 1948, Israel was never a sovereign nation. They were under the rule of other empires and other rulers. So this is kind of how the Old Testament ends. About 500 B.C., the year 500 B.C. is when Israel's is, uh, exile is over and Israel's allowed to return. And there's some other prophets at the old end of the Old Testament that are Prophesying around this time, but about 400 BC, the Old Testament ends. That's it, 400 BC. We don't, you know, there wasn't a lot happening after that. And so you think, well, Jesus came right around, you know, the start of like year three or four AD. So what happened during those 400 years? We don't know. There was like this period of silence where God wasn't really saying anything. But that's how the Old Testament ends. They go into exile, they're allowed to return, they rebuild the city and uh, they're still under the Persian Empire, and that's kind of how the story wraps up in the Old Testament. But here's the big point I want to focus on today in the time we have left, and I got a question for you. So the question is this. If you think about the whole journey of Israel, where we started, Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and then Moses leading them out of Egypt, and then, you know, Joshua leading him into the promised land. So you've got, you know, the Ups and the downs of of, uh, doubting God and and turning to God in Egypt, wilderness, the promised land, the kingdom, the exile, the restoration, all those seasons. Here's my question. In which seasons was God at work? In which seasons was God at work? Well, all of them. All of them. All of those ups and downs. The Israelites would say, well, God is at work. They might not have recognized it then, but we look at it and say, well, yeah, God was at work here. God is saying, I'm going to be at work in this. I'm going to be at work in the good seasons and the bad seasons. All are the work of God with one design to bring his people back to him, to bring his people's hearts to be devoted to him, to trust him, to love him. It's about the people's relationship with God. So whether they're victorious in the promised land, it's about God fulfilling his promise so that he could have a relationship with his people. When they're in rebellion, in exile, when they're enslaved in Egypt, God's at work. God's at work bringing about his plans, bringing his people back to him, redeeming his people. This is the hardest thing for us as followers of Jesus to understand. This is the hardest thing at times, is to trust in the goodness of God when we are in a season of defeat, like the Israelites. When we're in Egypt, when we're in exile, when things are not going well, it is hard to trust in the goodness of God. Because we have this terrible habit of doing this. As Christians, we have a terrible habit, and that is this, deciding how good God is based on how good our life is going. We tend to think, oh, man, things are great, kids are healthy, marriage is awesome, money in the bank, promotions at work, God, you're good. Way to go, God, like we're giving them a report card, right? And then when things are not going good, where kids are falling apart, they're struggling, marriage is falling apart, job falls apart, you don't have money in the bank, you're thinking, God, how could you? What happened to being a good God? Do we do that? I do that. We have a terrible habit of saying how good my life is decides how good God is. And that's a terrible habit because when is God good? All the time, right? I feel, yeah, I feel like a Southern preacher here. And all the time God is good. No, when is God good? All the time. When is God at work for our good? All the time. Are you in a season of victory today where things are going well? Praise God, God is at work. God is accomplishing his plan in your life, and God wants your heart to be devoted to him. Are you in a season of exile? Do you feel like, man, things have fallen apart? Maybe it's that season of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God, where are you? Are you in a season of defeat where things are just hard? Well, praise God. God is at work. Amen? God is at work. And it's the same goal that he has in the good seasons. He wants your heart back to him. Victory, exile, silence, it's all for our good. Romans 8, 28, another very well-known verse, for I know that God in all things works for the good of those who love him. God is at work for your good all the time. So wherever you're at in life, wherever you're at in your faith, God is working for your good. The difficulties that you're having in school, the difficulties you're having with your kids, God is at work for your good. He's teaching you, he's drawing you, he's convicting you. Because he knows that the ultimate good is when you're devoted to him. And you might think, well, what, is that gonna, what effect is that going to have on my life? That's not going to give me a new job. God knows that your ultimate good is when you are devoted to him and living for him. You're going to see that God is at work. You're going to see things, that, the ways that he's blessing you. You're going to see that, you know what, job or no job, I am secure in my relationship with God. And that's the ultimate good. This is what God is wanting to do to cause us to grow, to trust him, to love him. In the few minutes I have left, I wanted to read one more uh, passage and kind of talk about one more thing. Another prophet, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. Isaiah is prophesying about the Persian Empire and about this new ruler, Cyrus, who's going to allow the Israelites to come home. So if we could throw that verse, Isaiah 44, verse 28, says this, God... um, uh, Referring to himself, who says of Cyrus? Do you got that one? This is God saying, you know, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Let's leave that one up there for a second. God is basically establishing his credentials. God is saying, who says of the nations this? Like, I'm in control. God is saying, who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd? God is talking about the leader of the most powerful empire in the world. God is referring to him, the most powerful person in the world, saying, you know, he does what I ask him to do. Look, it, he's going to fulfill all my purpose. And God is saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. God, Isaiah is prophesying from God that all these things are going to happen, that Israel's going to be in exile, and that a ruler named Cyrus is going to come and that's going to come and rebuild you. And God is saying, all of these things are my purpose and my plan. But what's interesting about this, first of all, one really interesting fact about this, hopefully you find it interesting, Isaiah wrote these words like over a hundred years before any of this would happen. So nobody would have even known there about a Persian empire. All they know is Babylon. All they know is, this is even before the exile. So Isaiah is saying, through God, saying there's going to be a Persian empire, there's going to be a ruler named Cyrus. This was 100 years before Cyrus was even born, that Isaiah is prophesying about these things. So if you've ever doubted the validity of Scripture, moments like that are pretty convincing to me, that God is speaking things that would happen. Isaiah, through the working of God, is is predicting the future pretty accurately, 100 years before even Cyrus was born. So that's one interesting thing about that passage of Scripture. It really gives some proof to the validity of Scripture. But the second one, and here's my point, I love that line, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. This is God talking about the most powerful ruler in the world, a global power, the most powerful person on the planet, and God is just saying, he, he's just doing what I'm asking him to do. He's, I'm over him. He's accomplishing my purpose. He's accomplishing what I want him to do. I'm sure the Israelites saw the exile and this time where they were captured as a reason to question God or a reason to give up hope and to give up to to despair, to question God. And God is reminding them through this and through so many other passages of Scripture, don't worry about the nations and the empires. They're just working for me, you know, right? God is saying, I'm over all of it. I'm over all all of it. You don't need to work about that. Just get your heart right. There's a a story in Daniel where he's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and he's saying, God's going to do all these things so that you, Nebuchadnezzar, then the most powerful man in the world, so that you're going to recognize God's over all the kingdoms of the earth, and he gives them to whoever he wants. There's so much in that, in this story of God saying, don't worry about the nations, don't worry about the empires. They all work for me. I'm, I'm over them. Get your heart right. So for the Israelites, the message was, the state of the nation does not dictate your devotion to God. Right? The state of the nation does not dictate your devotion to God. In any season, there's room to grow as a child of God, to have a faith like Abraham in any season, to stand up for righteousness like Daniel and Esther in those times in Babylon, to endure trial like Joseph and Jeremiah, to speak the truth. Whatever is going on in your culture, there's always room for the children of God to act like the children of God. Amen? For the children of God to stay, to say, I know that God's over this, and my heart is right with him, and that's the biggest concern that I have. God is always working for your good. And we always, in every season, have the choice to put him first, regardless of what our nation is doing right? To proclaim him with our words and actions. So whatever season you're in, you might be in Egypt today, you might be in the wilderness today, you might be in the promised land and victorious, or you might be in exile, you might be experiencing God rebuilding and giving restoration and victory. Whatever season it is, this message is always the same. It's about your heart with God. It's about your heart with God. Are you growing? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you allowing the words of Scripture to come into your heart and invade your heart and make you more like him? Are you becoming more devoted to God in any season? Because there's, well, I want to talk to two groups of people here as we wrap up, just that main idea. And for some of you here, the first group here, the message is this. You're in rebellion against God. You're in rebellion against God. You've been running from God. You've been living life like you're in charge and just doing whatever you want, disregarding the plans that God might have for your life. You're in rebellion against God. You're fighting against God. That's never a good idea, right? You're fighting against God. You're refusing to make him Lord and authority. You might even be going to church, singing the songs. But as far as who's in charge of your life, who's the emperor of your life, it's you. You know it. You're keeping faith, real faith that would impact your life at an arm's distance and you are running from God and you're playing around with church and God is allowing, or maybe God will allow, the fruit of that rebellion to have consequences for your life. I'm just saying that. That's the truth of, the God, of God's word today. You're going to go through stuff and you're going to say, God, how could you allow this to happen to me? How come life is going so bad? And God's going to say, because it's the only way to get through to you. Like the Israelites, I want your heart. I want you to turn back to me. You're going through this difficulty so that I can get your attention. It's like having kids at home. Sometimes things have to go poorly for them to realize, oh, wait, I am in a family that involves more than me, right? Sometimes God needs to allow things to happen to get your attention for him to say, hey, remember, it's about your heart. It's about being committed to me. It's about turning back to me. And God's going to wait for you to recognize that. And sometimes we are stubborn and we think we can outweigh God. God's got all day, right? God can, for Him, a thousand years is like a day. He can wait you out. But I want to remind you of this this is not control freak, angry God judgmental God. This is loving Father who's saying, I want your heart because I know that this is the good that you need. This is the ultimate good for your life. I want your heart. He's waiting for you. He's God all day, and he is a Father of love. He wants you to turn back to him. There's a story, if you were following along in Joshua, when Israel was going into the promised land, and they're supposed to wipe out all the nations. And even like the, in the temples of their idols, they were supposed to get rid of all the stuff. Even if it was like valuable stuff, silver and gold, God said, get rid of it. It was for idol worship, get rid of it. And one day there's a guy named Achan who decides, this is some pretty valuable stuff. We should keep some of this silver and gold. We can make use of it, right? Thinking, you know, conservation mentality. Like, I'm, you know, this could be good stuff. And so he keeps, unbeknownst to the rest of the nation of Israel, he keeps some of this stuff that was in the idol worship temple, disobeying God. And God comes and says, hey, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. And Israel, like, the leaders fall down and they start praying. And I love this passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 7. Israel's praying to God, oh, God, forgive us. Oh, God, we didn't know. We didn't know. And God speaks to them and says, what are you doing on your faces? Stand up and go make it right. I love that. God is saying, stand up and go make it right. Some of you are praying to God and saying, God, why is this happening? Or why this, 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 this? And God is going to say to you, maybe the word of God for you today is this, make it right. Stop doing the things that are in rebellion to what I've called you to do. Maybe God's called you to, to take a step of faith and you're like, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And you keep praying, God, why aren't you with me? Why aren't you blessing me? Because I've asked you to do something that you refuse to do. This is God saying, I want your heart. God told the Israelites, why are you praying? Get up and make it right. There's a passage in James that I want to read in the New Testament. James chapter 4, 4 through 10 really sums up this idea today. James 4 verse 4 says this, you adulterous people. This is James, the brother of Jesus Christ, writing this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? Meaning the spirit he's put in you, he longs for you to be with him, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's like in Joshua saying, Get up and make it right. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. When he's talking about grieve, mourn, and wail, he's not saying just walk around sad all the time. He's saying, Be upset about the sin in your life. Don't just walk around thinking everything's fine. Wash your hands. Resist the devil. Get rid of some of this stuff in your life and turn to God. Because when you're proud and you're running your own life, you're in opposition with God. And man, that's got to get tiring after a while, right? God's pretty strong. But he says when you humble yourself and you allow God to come in and you make your heart right, that's where he gives grace. He strengthens you. Humble, before you. humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So for some of you today, it's just time for you to stop running from God and let him in. God keeps drawing you. Why are you at opposition with God? Let him in. Let him in. He is working for your good. And the second group of people I want to talk about as we close is this. Sometimes we're in a season of exile. Sometimes we go through a dark season where we think God has forgotten about us. It's like a winter of the soul, and I say that to say we in this part of the world we understand what it's like to go through a long winter. Right, minus fifteen this morning on March third. Like, what in the world? I love winter as much as anybody, but as soon as March hits, I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for spring. I heard a bird. Yes, I heard a bird chirping yesterday morning. I'm like, that bird is confused. That bird is in the wrong spot. <laughs> Hopefully, that bird knows we've got like four more days of winter left. So. Sometimes we go through a season of exile. Sometimes it feels like we're going in our life going through a long, cold winter. And I say winter to say this. Think of a tree. Imagine a tree in winter, like a leafy, you know, maple tree. We got a maple tree in our backyard. Because I'm Canadian, I had to plant a maple tree. It's actually part of my citizenship. I have to plant a maple tree wherever I live. <laughs> um, it, you look at it now, it looks cold, no leaves on it. You look, that tree is, it looks dead. That tree is doing nothing. That tree has gone dormant. Like, it's going through a long winter. What's that tree doing? You want to know what trees are doing in the winter? Is they are growing roots. They're actually working harder now than they do in the summertime because they have to work hard for their roots to go through the frozen ground to find moisture and nutrients. That cold, hard ground, they're digging their roots deeper. So what are they doing in the winter? They're getting stronger. These trees are getting stronger so that when spring and summer comes, they're going to be well, like way more equipped to bear fruit because they've done the work that needed to be done in the winter. If you're in a winter season, a season of exile, you have to know this, God is at work. And what is he doing in you? He's allowing you to get stronger. He's allowing you to dig your roots into prayer. The whole point, one of the points of going through a dark season is because we run back to God and we say, God, I need you. That's the huge win going through a difficult season. We put our roots down deeper so that we get stronger. And we recognize that even in that dark season, God is at work and God is good. And even in that dark season, even in a season where we don't know what the nation is doing, we can say, you know what, God? You're sovereign. You're over everything. I trust you. You have my good in mind, and my heart will be devoted to you. Even in that season, we have a faith that gets stronger, and we have a hope that the sun is going to rise again, and that the springtime will come, right? We'll get out of this winter season, and that we will be restored, and that we will be rebuilt. We turn to him, and we trust him. He is at work, and he will restore. Amen? Um, One other thing about these prophecies in the Old Testament, a lot of them were about a Messiah that would come. Isaiah prophesies this. We read Isaiah at Christmas time. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, for unto us a child is born. You know, that's a Christmas verse, right? That's written hundreds of years before Jesus came. There was another one. The prophet Micah said, um, all these things are happening, exiles happening, but there will be a redeemer who will come out of Bethlehem. Out of the smallest tribe in all of Judah, Bethlehem, it would have been like, what good is going to come out of Bethlehem? Micah prophesied this like 500 years before Jesus was born. There's a lot of prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. So as Israel's going through exile, as Israel is rebuilding, they have this hope. There's someone coming. There's a Messiah coming. He is going to be our Redeemer. He is going to bring salvation. And that's the end of the Old Testament. About 400 years before, between that that. And when Jesus would be born, when we start in the New Testament, which we will do next week. During those 400 years, um, the Persian Empire with Cyrus, that was defeated by a new, more powerful empire. That's the way it worked back in that part of the world. A new empire would rise up and defeat the old empire, and then they would rule. And this powerful empire was the Roman Empire. So they took over. They were in rule over Israel and over Judah. And then there was that night you know, after about 400 years where they hadn't heard from God, that night in Bethlehem, that star that shone in the sky. And I love that imagery of after a long period of silence, after going through exile and then not hearing from God for about 400 years, all of a sudden there's an angel singing and a star shining in the sky. The idea of the Messiah has come. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like the prophets said. It's going to come out of Bethlehem. Nobody would have picked Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and the angels declared, this is the one, this is the promised Messiah. So, long story short, I've been doing this each week, we summarize with this, this last slide. Long story short, Israel's rebellion leads to disaster. They are defeated and exiled to Babylon, but God continues to be faithful. There will be deliverance. A Messiah is coming to save the people, to make this relationship right once and for all. And once again, God calls his people to put him first. Let's pray together. God, we do that again today. We see the story of Israel, and we see all the connections to our faith journey. We have a salvation experience. And now we learn what it means to walk and follow you. So I'm praying first for the people that I mentioned, that they are keeping you at an arm's distance. They are walking in rebellion, knowing that they want to be in charge of their life, and they want to keep you out of it. I'm praying that you would continue to convict and draw them in. And we know that your conviction is out of kindness and love. So I pray that you would draw people in. And if, if they're in that camp today, if you're in that group, and you've been keeping God out of your life, just let them in. Just invite them in right now. It's, just, it's an attitude of faith. It's a confession of your heart. Saying, God, I let you in. I put you first. I receive your mercy. I recognize that Jesus died for my sins. And I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to put you as Lord of my life as the ultimate authority of my life. And secondly, God, I want to pray for those who are in a dark season, just walking through difficulty. They're in exile. They feel like you have forgotten them. They see all the good things you're doing with other people, and they are wondering, why not them? I pray that you would raise the countenance of those people, that you would lift our faith today, knowing that you are at work, and everything you're doing right now is for our good. And so I want to encourage those people today to just put their hearts to you, to make their hearts right with you, to put you first. And I pray that you would lift up those who are down, that you would strengthen those who are weary, that you would bring healing to those who are sick. I pray that you would do a work of restoration in those hearts today. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you just continue to do a work in us where we become more like you. That's what we want to do. We want our hearts to be devoted to you in everything we do, and to bring glory to you in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.